0: It is nine thirty-five. Joining me now is our good friend Barb Lampson, a master gardener who just came back from her fishing expedition in Alaska. Barb, I hear you did pretty well in the the uh, seas oh, yeah. over there. Yeah,
1: exactly. It was the best weather. Uh, we've been going to uh, Alaska now for 20 years. Now
0: whereabouts so people can maybe understand okay, where so,
1: you're Okay, so uh, when we fish out in the uh, Gulf of Alaska and sometimes we go about 25 miles out into the ocean, this time the waters were so calm. The seas it, uh, roll there so you've got this rolling action and then when the current is either coming in or going out, you've got this other action which is hitting up against crossways against mm-hmm. your boat. So you, you've got it can be very rough fishing, but you kind of accept that. Well, then if the winds are bad, then that's another thing. But the the sea was so calm. The ocean was so calm. And we stayed right in the Gulf. And
0: uh, Now it's the Gulf
1: of what? The Gulf of Alaska. Oh, it is called the Gulf of Alaska. Yes, exactly. And we stayed there, and uh, we always troll. So you have to be able to... Stand on a deck and keep your balance, get your line out there, and land your fish. And that, uh, on a a rough day, that's really hard to do because you're jerking around and you can lose a fish. If you get your rod tip down too far, you get it up too far, you lose, you pull it out of the mouth. All of these things can happen. But it was perfect. What do you Uh, use for bait for salmon? Herring. Oh, okay. And, and we buy them um, right at the bay there, and they're about, oh eight to 10 inches long. So that's like
0: catching a fish
1: here. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> is. It is. The bait. It's, exactly. So uh, uh, had just really good luck caught How some. How big a salmon did you catch? A 15-pounder. That's probably good. I don't yeah, know. That yeah. was And after 15 pounds, I can't land them myself. Oh, okay. And I figure, why fish if you can't bring it in and land it yourself? Sure. Because the, the fish... They're strong, and they you have to kind of play them out a while so that they get winded, and then they're a little easier to bring in. And then you have to get them up alongside, close to your boat, so that someone else can net them. So now, do you go out
0: in a like a group boat with a no. lot of? Oh, okay, because a lot of people who would just visit Alaska don't have know anybody. Your son lives there, of course. Yeah. Would probably go on a tourism or excursion boat and probably fish with somebody else, but you actually go with your son.
1: Yes, he has his own fishing boat. Okay. And after um, his dad, after my husband had cancer, uh, he bought this boat and he had it uh, outfitted with grab bars in it so that... for my husband, he has more stability. Uh, but he has gotten to the point where he will just sit in the cabin now and do the driving. Oh. <laughs> and he watches the screens yeah. um, that show you the depth of the fish in that and where the schools in that are at. And then the boat mo- makes, a, um, makes a chart for you and where you hit where you where you, where you pick up on something because you're because you're trolling, it'll mark that and then you go right back to that spot again. You keep going, oh, you know. Neat. So it saves a lot of time, right? And that's great. And he's really good at that. <clears throat> and uh, my son is great at. Uh, he gets that great big scoop net, and I get that salmon up to the boat, and he'll scoop that sucker out. Now,
0: how many can you get? You know, here there's limits on different types yeah. of fish, so I'm just curious if they have the same thing in Alaska.
1: They do. They're on the different species, like the kings or the silvers or are the cohos, and it you know it depends on each one runs at a different time, so the kings were just starting to come in and the silvers were still there, and if you fish in the ocean, you get a much different product than if you wait till they go up and spawn in the rivers, oh. because their their whole system starts breaking down and that
0: when you mean when they're in the ocean or when they're uh, spawning
1: when they're spawning yeah because they work so hard to go up river and they get more and more the color changes on them and uh, and the meat itself is is of a softer texture, whereas you catch them out in the ocean, that's really firm. They're wonderful. They haven't started that spawning cycle. What
0: color would they be then?
1: Okay, so it depends on whether... Because I always
0: see salmon, I think it's pinkish or something.
1: Yeah. They have what we call the pink salmon, and my son is such an Alaskan. We don't eat pink salmon. Oh, really? (laughs) Only the tourists catch them. (laughs) So we we caught several pinks but we put them back in again because they're
0: not as good or they're not as good oh. uh,
1: my son calls them uh, their dogfish okay. that the, <laughs> they they catch them and feed them to the huskies sure. you know but we don't Eat those, so. Um, but
0: norm, most people do probably, right? Yeah, if they
1: don't know. In the same um, way, they stand along the riverbanks, and the uh, the fish come in, and just I mean, you can just there's just color all over. They're getting oranger and oranger more orange all the time. So orange is good uh, or it, not good? Breaking down. Breaking oh, that's down, the bad part. Okay. Yeah and uh, And they'll catch those, and they're just on their last leg. they're just wiggling around in there, and that's that's which not... is why they catch them probably cause yeah, <laughs> you can catch them on when I first started fishing in Alaska, I used to fish in the Russian River, and uh, you could you could use just a, a colored uh, piece of yarn oh and wow. and just that movement, and they'd bite on oh, that. so but now, I like being you know, I'll tell you what when you stand in the these icy. Uh, glacial water, and even though you've got your waders on, I stand in it. Yeah, you oh, st- I thought you're on a boat. Well, no, that's when I first started. When oh, okay, when I, when I fished in the Russian River, I don't fish there anymore because the currents are really um, very strong. Okay. If you would lose your balance and the Bottom is very rocky. You lose your balance. You drown because Ooh. your 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 waders would fill up with water, even though you've got a vest on. Sure. And that water is so cold. You, there's the hypothermia. So I stay out of the rivers now and uh, stay on a boat. And so, and is the new salmon white then? That, that you It's lighter. Up? It's silver. It's silvery Oh, colored. it's more silvery. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. It, yeah. And when you buy your license, they give you a book which helps you uh, to identify. And, of course, our son knows all these things. Right. But if you were a tourist, that'd be one of the ways that you'd know what, what it was that you were fishing for.
0: Now, does he do that f- partly for a living or is no. this just for his own fun?
1: It's or? just for fun, right. And now they started um, on Monday, or I guess it was actually on Saturday, the, uh, the fishing derby, which is for the Kings. And that's for the biggest fish, and, and that runs for nine days. That's everybody seems to be out there trying to. There's a big prize, cash prize for so that. So what
0: would be the big kind of fish they could catch there? I'm,
1: it's not salmon. Yeah, that's a that's a king salmon. Oh, so they're yeah. trying to get a specific type yeah, of. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's what you answered. I don't know if they try and get a shark or something. No, <laughs> I wasn't no, sure. no, no, no. And, and, and that is absolutely um, in the Alaskans opinion, at least in the people that I talk to, that is their, like, that's the best of the best. The king salmon. Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. Did you catch any of those? Yes, I did. You yes, did? I, yes. Good for you, Barb. Yeah. I. It was It was just, uh, we we're just in the right place at the right time, and, and that was really good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm so, always fascinated with your stories because, you know, they've got such a short growing season because they've got, they of course, do. it's a lot colder up there. And you mentioned everyone up there pretty much has greenhouses.
1: Yeah. Lots of people with greenhouses. Yeah. And even with a greenhouse, uh, because he lives in the valley, and it's thrown by the Chugach Mountains. You have mountains on four sides sure. of you. It, it You don't get much sun coming down low into mm, the valley okay. like that. So he uses artificial um, uh, lights as well in the greenhouse. And this year, because they had unseasonably warm temperatures, which actually reached into 90 degrees, wow. he had his tomatoes growing in pots on his deck. Oh, my. And, and the houses are... Raised up because there, uh, where he lives, they have avalanche problems. And if you're lo- built right on the ground, your house would be knocked right off. Do
0: they have flooding issues too then?
1: No. No, they, they, they don't. They don't have flooding issues. I would think
0: with the melting and stuff, they might. But <clears throat> it,
1: they There are, like, in front of every single house, um, there is a ditch. And those things, they are running, glacial water is running through their... All year long, even underneath the snow, it doesn't freeze. It's just running. There's melt coming off in the mountains and running out. So, uh, extremely healthy air. I I actually I do this every year. I'm there when the. Uh, Anchorage Master Gardeners have their plant sale, and I love to go there and talk to them and see what they're growing. What are they growing there? Oh, man, they're growing lots of primrose, uh, Himalayan poppies, which these are things that need uh, shade and cooler weather. We can't grow them here because of when we have these sunny days, it's just really hard on them. And so I went to the botanical garden uh, also, and I looked at the Himalayan poppies there, and they were looking pretty sad from all that heat. Oh, and sure. they're grown in the forested area there. My son also has Himalayan poppies. He got his, he bought them from the uh, botanical gardens. And uh A couple of them bloomed all right, but then it got too hot, and the rest of them didn't bloom. So you know um, they're having their problems. And I know
0: I've heard that they've had wildfires up there too in the recent days because of that heat. Yeah.
1: Normally, uh, when I've been in Alaska, every day you have a little rain, and things are cool and wet. But this year. Uh, drier and hotter. I was talking to a gal and she said, this is the first summer that she ever remembers that she's wore shorts outside. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was one of the guides up there uh, at the conservatory, the Nature Conservatory. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. So anyway, I came home uh, rejuvenated and ready to work in my own garden. And I thought, Wow, it's like a jungle out here. Yeah, come on. <laughs> all the weeds were growing just uh, mightily, and uh, I was on my hands and knees every single day. And I found more of those uh, tree seeds that had sprouted. Oh yes, those little maples, right? Yes, and they're in the flocks. You know, oh, you, you in everything. You Barb. part the flocks, and there yes. you see them. And and how they can take off and have so. Have such success at sprouting. I wish everything I, every seed I ever planted would Would sprout. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. It's just, so hand-pulling them is the best way to get them out. And, you know, it's a good time to have your nose to the ground and see what's going on in your garden. I've got those voles or those moles, which are tunneling. And the soil, you know you've got them because the soil... It's raised up, and, you, and you're and you supposed to walk on that and press it down so that you compact the tunnels that they've made.
0: Well, you know, I went to the Steele County Fair on Wednesday, and there was a place there that had some kind of a natural mixture. It was a mixture. I think it had peppermint scent and other scents and it was like uh, kind of a, a, I think they put it in like some type of a corn, I not corn kernels, but some parts of the corn Mm -hmm. and it was very, very strong smelling and they said if you put this down, you know, where your bowls and mice and things are that it'll, they'll go away. Well, I suppose it'll go to the neighbors, but um, you know, I was tempted to buy some, but I didn't. But, you know, if it's it's one of those natural things where you don't have to put poison because it doesn't harm anything because it's just like your natural oils. So, I don't know how it works, but like I said, well, if you go to the Watana Free Fair, it's still on, but there oh, was a great. booth in one of the the buildings there, and it was interesting. I, I saw that and. Um, got the guy's card. I don't. I don't think I have it with me now. But I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. Using so, some corn byproduct and putting that yeah. natural smells that repel them. Right. kind of like mothballs, but not mothballs. It's just
1: sense that they don't like. I hope that uh, over at the uh, ag and research station in Wasika, I hope they're doing that kind of research. Yeah. And when they have their field day, which will be coming up, I haven't got the date on that yet. That would be a good question to ask them. What they've got that's safe? Because who wants to handle something that's going to actually poison the soil?
0: Right. Yeah. Because then, I mean, if you want to plant anything to eat, you you right. can't, or you'll be sick yourself. So, and
1: and if uh, you have to be sure that you're wearing good gloves, then mm-hmm. so that doesn't get on your skin and then get into your bloodstream. You know, so it's a it's a big thing. So, I just wanted to say uh, one of the things I was when I got home, I was rereading. Uh, the information on Japanese beetles. And we've talked about this. Oh,
0: Barb, I have caught literally thousands. I'm not kidding you. Thousands and thousands and thousands because I have these traps, which the traps work. They go in the traps But they're still the ones that go on your plants.
1: You know, and um, uh, the University of Minnesota has got this really nice publication that we all got. Yes. Seven pages of um, all the information you ever wanted to know about Japanese beetles. And it doesn't actually recommend them because it says, well, it will draw them to your trap. Uh, from your neighborhood, you'll get more than you did. You're still going to have those that are going to make it, and they're going to be in your flowers, and they're going to yeah, be destroying things. But honestly, uh, how do you start eliminating them? You know, I'm handpicking. I'm My- handpicking, plus I have the trap. Yes. And I'll handpick them and put
0: them in the trap because it's really funny to see. <laughs> it's like a sea. So it's like looking in the water, except instead of water, it's these moving just thousands sure. of bugs moving in there. And if you put them up to your ear, it's kind of like sh- I was. It's kind of creepy, actually. I
1: use a saucer um, that's deep, you know. Yeah, with a little a, soapy water. A soapy water, and and I shake them off mm-hmm. in there, yep. and and then I watch to see. You know, uh, yesterday I was. Going through about the third time on the roses, and they just love the rose, they love the flowers on the roses. And I instead, and the the petals were you know kind of damaged, so I thought, okay, I'm just gonna squash the the whole petal off, then I don't have to. And there was like you know maybe four Japanese uh, beetles in the petals, and you know when they hit the soap soapy water normally they die just really fast
0: oh no they swim around mine always swim around
1: well these <laughs> stayed right on top of those petals they were like little <laughs> lifesavers for them and and i kept watching you know you want to be careful that if you're using soapy water don't have any debris debris in there that they can float oh, on right cuz they'll fly it keeps, off it well yeah and they'll take off on you again you yes. you want them to be exposed to that and that chemical reaction and then they die from that
0: you know they are really like my my hardy hibiscus and i have taken a flower off and gotten as many as 15 from one flower i mean yeah. i can't even see them but they're like under the petals um where the the sepal you know pops yes. next yes. to the flower and you'll take them off and you go Wow, I can't believe that many were in there. So I take a little, like a little, um, oh, uh, what's it called, a sieve kind of thing, a metal sieve, and just put sure. it under, and then I shake the flour off and dump them yeah. in there, and then I have to kind of cover them so they don't fly off. But yeah, yeah, and then it's just they are just terrible. And I know, like I said, there's um, what is it, the oh, the, the stuff you can spray on your lawn that's non-harmful, um, the spore. My, oh, oh what's it called? A can- yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I I read about that, too. It's, and my um, is it micro um, sp- spore? Oh, gosh. yeah. So,
0: anyway, but yeah, you can do that. And it's supposed to be a natural thing that helps prevent the grubs from them hatching the next okay. spring. And my a neighbor of mine did that. And I was going to ask him how he, if he could tell any difference. And I haven't seen him since I talked to him earlier this year. But this yeah. would
1: be one. Uh, this would be a good time of the year. Um, you can do that early on. Um, in June Mm -hmm. where you can start scouting but the only way that you really know that you have grubs in your lawn is
0: milky spore that's what it is milky spore yes thank you
1: yeah and if you you know you have uh, uh, you wouldn't be treating something if you didn't know you had a problem right so so you'd have the tufts of grass that were getting brown Mm -hmm. and then if you uh, pull on them The grubs actually eat the roots. That's what they're after. That's why you get those brown spots. Yeah, and then you, so then you'd want to do something. But it's not too late to do something right now. Actually, um, the uh, you want to go for those grubs. There's new, there's new uh, bunch of grubs that are in this soil now. If you've got brown spots, and the other thing is, uh, if you're going to do anything like that, mow your lawn first. And if you've got weeds in your lawn, you probably want to take care of that too and get those out of there because a lot of times these uh, damaging insects, they find a home within that weed that's a protective, that's a good place for them. So I would suggest if you want to get a really good information sheet uh, that was produced by the University of Minnesota. This is from Jeffrey Hahn and his associates. Just go to the University of Minnesota's website right. and look under Japanese beetles. It's so easy to understand. It tells you if you want to use chemicals. It tells you if you want to use a systemic, something that you would pour on, that you'd feed to the plant. It identifies the plants. It's everything, and uh, and it's easy to read and easy to understand, and keep it as sort of your 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 guideline here
0: you know last year at the Minnesota State Fair they the master gardener have a booth up there and mm-hmm. they said that was the most commonly asked question was about the Japanese beetle so even at the Nicollet County Fair which was last week they had uh, their master gardener group the Nicollet County ones had the Japanese beetle information and I'm not sure if they did at Blue Earth County but it's a common common problem so you're not you're not alone right
1: and it's probably not going to get any better no uh, because we've got more and more insects yeah, and in the as long as they live over in the soil they did say here's the thing These, uh, when we have a dry year, we're going to have less Japanese beetles because this larva doesn't survive as well in dry soil. Well, this year, of course, we had
0: a very wet year. Yes,
1: and for heaven's sakes, if you're one of those people that thinks you have to sprinkle your lawn, maybe you ought to reconsider because what you're doing in keeping your lawn well watered is you're providing a breeding place for this larva. From the Japanese beetle. We
0: should talk a little bit about that because, you know, I have neighbors that sprinkle, so their lawns are always green, 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 right. and ours get brown. They're not, unless it's an extreme drought, your lawn right. is not drying. It's going dormant, which is a normal thing this time of yes. year. And yes. so, in, like I said, unless it's extremely, extremely dry and you haven't had, you know, water for weeks and weeks. Uh, my grass, because it hasn't been sprinkled every day, it's got deeper roots because it's had to go down exactly. further for the to get the moisture, and so it will get a little brown. Actually, it's not bad because we've had pretty much, but there's some spots that are a little brown, and I'm not really worried about it because it is dormant, and that's
1: yeah. normal. And, and so we, we mow the lawn less often then, and, and we set the mower up so that it's cutting the grass longer. Right. We don't want to scalp it because when you do that, you expose the roots even more more. Right. So keeping your yard healthy does not necessarily mean having a sprinkler system and, and watering all the time. You know, the other thing that goes dormant this time of year um, are the iris. And we love these iris, but they start looking really ratty sad. Yeah, yeah, ratty. And so this is a good time to go in and it, first of all, clean around the rhizome, the base. If you got, if your mulch is worked up on there, pull that away. And any dead leaves, things like that. Anything like that that's on there, or if maybe you didn't. You had. Uh, the leaves die down from last year and you didn't clean that up. And you can also cut the tops off. Uh, we do get different viruses and things. And you, the even if you have a healthy iris plant, they start getting kind of droopy because mm-hmm. because they're dormant. This right. is their dormant time. This doesn't hurt them at all to go ahead and cut them back. You know, cut them down to maybe five, six inches, something like that. I was on my hands and knees doing that yesterday. And I thought, This will never end. And then you can also (laughs) see, if you've got rhizomes that are making a mat, that's that that woody-like. It gets a little thick. Yes. It's time to divide them, and it's not too late to do that either. You can do them, dig them out, improve your soil. As a matter of fact, when I was in Alaska, my neighbor had iris, and she said, do you know how to divide iris? I said, I do, I do. (laughs) And I love to do that. And and she said, I don't want to ask you to do something when you're on vacation. I said, this will not be a problem. It will be fun for you, actually. Yes. Yeah. And so she said, well, we planted these 14 years ago. And she said, they're not blooming very well. And I said, not surprised. And so I said, I will dig them, but you're going to have to tell me where you want them replanted. Mm-hmm. And I'll replant your bed. And there's going to be a lot of extra. So somebody else is going to have to take care of that. So my son, who prides himself on making compost, he said, Mom, why don't we put them in pots and then we can decide where they're going to go. Oh. And and so I, for, for, I improved the soil where they had been. I replanted those. I rewatered those. And then I divided up the rest of the uh, roots for these pots, and we started out with six pots, and that wasn't enough. Then we did six more. We ended up <laughs> oh having goodness. eighteen pots of growing iris okay. with this with this old rhizome cut off. So we put them in a shady place and watered them. And uh, she said well, we'll just share them with the neighborhood. I said, <laughs> good, that's <laughs> great. Yeah. Spread the love. <laughs> yes, yeah, spread the love. So, so that was a fun thing to do. But when I came home, you know, my cucumbers, I would estimate now that I have... Picked at least 70 pounds of cucumbers. Oh, and they grow so fast. I know they I've, do.
0: I've only have two plants, but I've got more than enough
1: for, for I, us. I have four plants. Oh. I have them up in the air. Yep, a- me too. And I have a, a type that's a Japanese type or an Asian type, and they get very long. <clears throat> and my son also raises them. And um, he's because if you garden, <clears throat> you end up either Canning or freezing or doing something and, and giving away produce. But I, he had this great recipe for dill pickles. Now, my mom made great dill pickles mm-hmm. and try as I could. Mine never got firm like hers did. Oh, so does he have a secret? Yeah. Because so I
0: want to know it because I actually have dill and I've got some pickles and I've never yes. made dill pickles ever. Yes.
1: Well, so I have a recipe. Can we share it quickly? Sure, we got a, okay. Just a couple minutes. This came off from the internet, and so I had these in there, and they're like a kosher dill. They are not; um, they're not sweet. They're they're a pickly dill pickle. So you use uh, three pickling cucumbers. This is for for a pint, and you use a fourth cup of onion, which is sliced, and a half a cup of apple cider vinegar, and a half a cup of water and two cloves of garlic that you smash. Okay. Okay, now this is a fourth teaspoon of granulated sugar and a fourth teaspoon of whole black peppercorns, a fourth teaspoon of whole mustard seeds. And here's the trick. Uh, You slice these cucumbers. If you had a small pickling, you'd slice them the long way uh, into not slices but into, um, what will we say, uh, so they're long, rather than so the vertically. Vertically, yeah. Okay, up and down, vertically. And so they're like
0: big fat French fries,
1: right? Or long French fries. And so you take the wet ingredients and you heat that. And here's the trick: you don't put this um, uh, liquid on when it's hot. You have to cool it. Oh, so I did mine last night and I'm going to make them today and then you pack your pickles in your jar you put in your, dell, your dill your garlic and your sauce um, Well, we wouldn't call it a sauce but the, the brining liquid mm-hmm. the and, and, and we'd pour that over put your cap on and these go in the refrigerator then and you wait a couple of days and they've picked up and they're just great absolutely great so, um, prep time, five minutes, cooking time, three minutes, chilling time, one day. Total that's t-
0: really, so do you have to can them like regular canning pickles? Nope. Oh, you nope. see, that's the part that always freaks me out. Like I don't have all that stuff, so I could even do this.
1: Nope, nope. This is really great, as a matter of fact, um, if you can't find it, um, we can copy this for Do you. Do you have
0: the um, web address you could give it?
1: Um, the www part at the top? Uh, let's see. I don't see it. I see it at the bottom. Here it is. Okay, www.aspicyperspective.com. Oh, okay. So that would be kind of
0: fun to check that out.
1: Yeah. Thank you,
0: Bob, for that. And um, you'll probably be going home and doing some more weeding, I bet. I'm going to do some pickling, some oh, more pickling. good, good. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Barb. Appreciate it. All righty. It is one minute past 10, and you are listening to A Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio 89.7 FM in Mankato and KMSK 91.3 FM in Austin online at KMSU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Big ideas and real-world thinking. Let's take a peek outside and see if things are they are shaping up in the weather we're at 72 outside today's high about 78 so it's going to be a bit warmer with some sunshine and then your saturday sunshine and 81 sunday 74 looks like we could get uh, some showers between saturday night and sunday morning sometime in that overnight area possibly up to four tenths of an inch and then uh, on monday next week we're going